Um, so is this last night's episode? Yeah. It's broadcast 727. Oh, okay. Hey, could you pour me another cup? Sure. Here you go. Thank you. Okay. One, two, three. Lima, Delta, Echo. Lima, Delta, Echo. This is In Between Stations Radio broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, USA. Good evening. Welcome to In Between Stations Radio. I think the next week or so, I'm just going to list, put these shows up, because we usually just uh, broadcast uh, these shows on the shortwave, and they never go up on podcasts or um, SoundCloud here. So, and they just kind of, you know, we keep track of them, but we never put them up. And so uh, I thought for the next you know, a couple of weeks, I would just put a broadcast up as we do it. It's not always a complete full hour broadcast, which we usually do. Uh, right, Murky? Right. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. It's um, about an hour or so, or less. Right. Uh, you would know. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, Murky does most of this stuff. Um, I have the ideas sometimes, but she does too. And, of course, she doesn't like to... Um, she's kind of in the background. That's how Murky is. So, um, I, I think that, and I still have this cold going on. Wow. You know, um, there's a lot of debate about COVID vaccines and things like that. And I don't want to get into that here because I have listeners on both sides of the fence and some in the middle and I'm kind of in the middle of the whole thing. Um, I, uh, I have been vaccinated, uh, not, not fully. Um, and I didn't get sick until about a week ago and then I really got slammed. Um, and I usually never get sick. I have a pretty powerful immune system because I'm, I'm out in the desert um, or I'm out in the mountains running uh, and I'm always outside. I am inside sometimes doing other things on the computer if people know me. I have a, a, a good life of balance. I move in and out of different environments. Uh, the one I choose mostly is to be out uh, in, in wilderness and that seems to be the one that does me the best 
both mentally and physically. So, yeah, I have a cold, and, um, yeah, and so I'm getting over that. Uh, it really uh, affected my uh, lungs a lot, which is are real precious to me, because um, for many years I was an extreme distance runner, so I was covering distances of 20, 40, 50 miles, pretty regular. And I don't run that far anymore. I still, I still run a lot. Um, I, and in between that, I, I walk a lot with my dogs. So it's a combination of those two things, but I don't have the extreme distance running that I used to have. Um, I thought about training for an upcoming run that's about uh, 30 or 40 miles. I'm not sure, uh, right now. Uh, and it does take a, a lot to train for something like that. You can't just jump into it. And if you don't keep that baseline for long distance, especially in the heat, um, you don't do well. And so it, it takes about a year to train for a really long run. And I just don't, I'm not willing to spend the, the time, um, to train for real long distance, like 50 miles or more. And, uh, and you're, you're, you're just constantly running all the time. Anybody that's a, an extreme distance runner knows that you spend, a, if you're not, you know, you have your work and then you have your, your running, which it takes up a lot of time. Then you may have a relationship going on and, um, everything, almost everything you do is devoted to the running. I don't know if I'm really into that anymore. My thing is doing a variety of, of things, you know, that keep me in shape. So, uh, I run different places. I run up mountains. I run down mountains. I run across flat desert plains that are sandy sometimes for miles. Uh, I'll walk in sagebrush. Um, I'll walk, I walk in all kinds of different terrain. And I've learned this from, uh, from wild animals, uh, which are, are my friends for the most part. That doesn't mean I go up and pet them. <laughs> I have a real respectable distance for wild animals, and uh, that's not something I do. I, I understand their body language, I understand their parameters and their territories, and I try not to violate that. And that's why I generally haven't had any bad situations. Uh, every once in a while, a coyote or a wolf, even a bear will come up to me. And that presents a different kind of a challenge. Uh, do I reach out and pet them? No. That's something I do not do. Uh, it's just this, you know, there's just this understanding sometimes. And so um, I've learned uh, not only the art of healing, um, how to get better and heal muscles and injuries from animals, because, you know, animals don't have hospital clinics for the most part. There are some clinics now popping up for wild animals like coyotes and foxes that have been injured in accidents and rehabilitating them and getting them back into the wild. So there is that, but generally wild animals don't have that kind of option that we have. If you're a deer and you get hurt, uh, you're in big trouble. Animals, especially wild animals, heal very quickly. Um, if they don't, they die. And so, and, and especially with wild canines, their ability to heal is just absolutely incredible. And so I've learned from them uh, how to do that. Uh, and, and also, you know, I've learned things from indigenous people. That's, you know, that's the kind of running I do. Um, I didn't know this broadcast was going to be about running. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I don't know if it is, uh, because eventually I wanted to get into uh, dreams. But um, the type of running I do is not um, is not for the sheer... Uh, of running, you know, not, not to win a race or to win an award or a t-shirt. I run because it's a spiritual uh, connection to the planet. And the way I've been trained by very traditional Hopi runners, 
Uh, one in particular is it's a religious experience that involves spirituality. It involves the way you eat, and, and, and running is regarded as a prayer. You're breathing, uh, you have a song, I have a song, and you connect to the planet. You connect to trees, you connect to earth, you connect to animals. Let's play a, a, a traditional song uh, by my good friend uh, Bucky Preston. Uh, I actually made a, a video that goes along with this, and it, uh, a lot of people have liked it. But this is a traditional running song. It has, he interprets what that, what that says. Just, just beautiful. And, and this is a close friend of mine. He's a very famous runner at Hopi. He's run hundreds and hundreds of miles. Uh, I'd say thousands of miles. And, uh, he is a real good friend of mine and also a teacher. And, uh, he's, he's well known for his spirituality and for his intense running. That's, uh, a baseline for spirituality in, in his life, as it is for many Hopis. Running is thousands of years old, uh, at Hopi, uh, at Diné, at, at Zuni. These, these folks run, uh, it's part of their life. It's part of their religion, and more so with Bucky here, who is an amazing person. So this is one of his many songs. He's 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 well known for singing his songs. He sings all over the different pueblos. Uh, he speaks uh, different languages of the pueblos, and he sings in those languages. And so this is one of them. So enjoy, and then we'll come back to uh, to to more things on running. So that was a traditional running song by my Hopi friend Bucky, the, uh, who is uh, a quite uh, well-known runner. 
And I, I want to go back to uh, on, on running, uh, you know, learning uh, from animals because you come in contact with them. Because I run in wilderness a lot, uh, off the trail, almost always off the trail, in fact. And so let's let's get back to that a little bit. Uh, you have a song, I have a song, and you connect to the planet. You connect to trees, you connect to earth, you connect to animals. Uh, and often they'll follow you in their runs. I've had all kinds of wild animals join me on my runs. And as long as I leave them alone and they can be with me and, you know, it's okay. And that's that's pretty typical of the kind of running I've been trained to do. Uh, and so it's 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 a life. Um, and I think when you're when you're when you're in the run, you disappear and and you become a consciousness that's connected to water, to clouds, to landscape. Now, if you're not used to this kind of thinking, it's a little strange. But I think the thing we do as moderns is we, and especially with our Western philosophies, is we tend to look at individuality as very being very important. And I think there is an importance there, but the type of running I do connects you to all things. And this is something uh, you see with Aborigines in Australia, the song lines. You, you follow these these um, physical and spiritual lines of energy that take you to teachers. And teachers are plants and they're animals. And over the years, you learn about how they evolve and how they work and how they live together. And that's that's part of It's a very educational experience, the kind of running I do, in, in various different kinds of terrain, which are available in this part of Arizona, from extreme hot deserts that get all the way up to alpine levels that where it never gets more than 75 degrees. Sometimes the snow never even melts there. So I'm able to switch between these very extreme environments as and as you do this, the animals and the vegetation and the temperatures change. And so I like to keep myself in a kind of wolves are really good at this wolves can go uh all and, and coyotes as well are very adaptable they can go from very hot deserts to very high alpine areas quite easily they shift back and forth and that's something i've learned especially from wild canines wolves and coyotes is how to uh, move through these environments and keep my body in shape so my thing is you know i can run up a couple of miles up straight vertical uh, terrain and not really be out of breath. I really don't know what that means getting a second wind because that's always present with me. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't think animals are. And I think animals think humans are weird because animals just don't run continuously. They stop, they go, they have a purpose. Even uh, these beautiful animals like the uh, proghorns. Um, which I see a lot and that, that move around both in the deserts and in the high mountains, depending on the seasons. Um, these animals are, there's nothing like them. Not even deer can keep a, a proghorn is an amazing animal for speed and distances covered, but they don't run all the time. They run in spurts they, if they have to, and then they settle down and they graze and they lay down and they live their lives and socialize. And when they run, they run as a herd. They don't, they, they, they don't tend to go out and run by themselves because that's, you know, that's necessary for, for protection. They're very family oriented. And, um, humans have this thing where they continually run all the time. And that may be part of our evolutionary history on the savannah is that's how we survived as, as terrestrial creatures. When our feet were on the ground, we had to run to survive. And so humans have a, a real, uh, amazing ability to run continuously. I think now, very interesting, 
There is a person running 100 miles now. I think he's from Sweden or Norway. He runs 100 miles each mile at six minutes or less. In fact, some of his miles are just a little over five minutes. Absolutely unheard of. That There's never been anyone that could do that. Now, white person. I know there's legends among natives who used to... who have had a history of running from the southwest here in Arizona all the way to Central and South America. Um, well, I don't know how, I don't know if you can get past the, the Darien Gap where there's huge stretches of water, um, but they would run all the way to Central America and back, hundreds and hundreds of miles. And there are legends of people that ran um, tremendous amounts of speed. That's what they did. They were born to be runners, and they moved food and water and... Uh, um, trade goods, um, and, and essentially the communication in those earlier time periods was done through running. And uh, as some of my friends tell me, and I'm not sure how true this is, I do know as an archaeologist is the will has been found in many excavations on toys. And according to some of the traditional runners I know in their tradition is the will was forbidden. It was seen as a means of of destruction from a previous world. Now, I, you know, each of these tribes and clans have different stories, but that seems to be one of the interesting things is the wheel was seen as a toy and not to be used as a means of travel. That the feet and um, your connection to the earth, often barefooted, um, is essentially, is essential importance, that that connection between you and the earth, and that the wheel itself took you away from that. So uh, that's a big difference between what we call the old and new world, which is a term I don't, I'm not too comfortable with. I like to use the term new world in terms of you evolving spiritually and physically and having a different way of seeing life. I, I, I think um, what we're beginning to see is, uh, you know, we, we used to call this when I was in, in college and high school cross-training. But a good wild animal, that's what they do all the time is cross-training. Um, you know, and I have a good friend, um, he's a, he, when he's not doing other things, he farms at, uh, Zuni. I have another friend at Hopi that farms and that's their gym. You know, and that, that was our ancestors gym, not going and lifting weights and things, uh, because we have a modern world, which I think is good, but you're involved in nature. That's your, your every day as you're chopping wood, um, you're, you're working in your huge fields. You know, I have one friend that has a cornfield that's just huge. He's working in that constantly, in heat and out of heat and, and taking care. You know, farming is, and I grew up on a farm and around farms, farming is, a, is, a, is, is big work. And you're, you're busy all the time. You don't really need a gym. And then, you know, uh, the, the Hopi farmer runs from his house to his fields, which may be sometimes 10 miles away in, in this extreme hot desert. You know, it's generally done in the morning, and you're running back and forth. So every day you're putting in... I have uh, one friend that said his grandfather's fields were five miles away, and he'd run back and forth sometimes as much as four or five times a day between his house and his fields. And then he had a little a little or smaller house he was staying in his fields. You know, corn to uh, these indigenous tribes is a living being. It's part of your family, and you treat it as such. It's a very sacred thing. Not only is it a food source, but it's a connection to to life, to breath. Uh, and so it's a it's... It's some. It's a concept if you're not familiar with it, and this is the same in uh, in the Amazon basin. Um, the the plants and the trees and the animals are your family, 
and um, you're connected to them, and you're connected to each other, and you need each other. And I think sometimes we live in a, this uh, artificial world with computers and grocery stores. We really don't have the ability to sustain ourselves for the most part. We have to have a store. Um, we have to have. We have to go buy these goods. We don't have to make them. You know, you're almost, I mean, now you're like an artist or something. If you make a table, or if you if you have a nice garden, you know, they have community gardens now, but they're seen as luxuries almost you know there was a time when that's how you ate you didn't really have a grocery store and you know another thing when you go to these excuse me these incredible food markets uh like in a place like in Cusco, they're a mile long and this you know the most varied food the most the food of the most variety i've ever seen in my life comes from the amazon basin these superfoods that come from uh, these superfoods that come from the Amazon um, are, are amazing. I mean, w one kind of one one kind of these, just that fruit or that vegetable can get you through the entire day. They're packed with with vitamins, with the kind of nutrition your body and muscles need because these tribes were 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 incredible horticulturists. We're just starting to discover this. This is why the Amazon basin is such a precious place is because there's foods and medications there uh, we don't even know about yet. Our anesthetics and painkillers all come from there. There's just an endless list. These superfoods, though, are amazing. You can actually live on these. Uh, some of them are acai, pineapple. Uh, when I was a in Cusco, there was 25 different kinds of pineapples. Blue, all different kinds of pineapples. Uh, Camus, another amazing, amazing fruit. Uh, coca leaf, which is one of the most packed nutritionist, nutritionist plants in the world. The leaf has incredible amounts of vitamins and things in it. A capuca, sweet potatoes. Wow, sweet potatoes is an amazing superfood. I've seen 15 different kinds of sweet potatoes in the market in Cusco. Cacao, where our chocolate comes from. The amazing nut that we're not sure if it comes from the Amazon basin or the Mexican Valley, uh, where it was used as actual money uh, because it was so valuable. And we all know that cacao is an amazing thing. All our chocolates come from that. Sasasha, potatoes, holy smokes, hundreds of different kinds of potatoes. Uh, from the highlands uh, and from the Amazon basin. This is where potatoes were developed. Not far from Cusco itself is where potatoes come from. Amazing stuff. Uh, tomatoes. I lost track of how many kinds of tomatoes. I'm going to say hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of tomatoes. Some that I've never seen. All different tastes. The food variety in this part of the world is probably the most intense any of anywhere. Um, we just know a little about the Amazon basin. Amazing place. And these, these great civilizations were just beginning to discover in the Mexican, or excuse me, in the Amazon basin because it's, it wasn't built, it was built largely of vegetation and stuff that decayed. And so, um, we don't, and, and the Amazon basin is, is intense with trees and plants. And so we're just beginning to discover these, um, super nations of tribes that lived there that were um, were the world's greatest horticulturists and we have them to thank today so superfoods um are amazing and of course one of those if we go up into the mexican uh valley is corn 
corn feeds the world. And you get in places there, uh, there's 50 different kinds of corn. At Hopi, I know there's seven different kinds of, of corn. Amazing stuff. And all of these are, you have blue, you have red, you have yellow, you have white, and these are pure strains. And when people mix these in the wrong way, you get all kinds of problems taking place. Um, so, interesting stuff there. Superfoods. The peanuts, all these things are a result of thousands of years of, of horticulture by people that, um, that knew these plants and knew what to develop so they would have these incredible food sources. Uh, you know, one, you know, a sweet potato is, is just simply amazing. You can live off a of sweet potato. That's all you need. It's a perfect place to do an Amazonian. I can't remember the tribe. It's on the Brazil side of the Amazon, which is huge. You could fit an entire country in there. Um, this is a working and running song. Uh, I, for some reason, I the tribe skips me. It'll probably come to me later in the episode. This is a cool song. Uh, this is about working, and it's about running, and it's about uh, being physically strong and spiritually strong and being connected to the earth and the sky. Uh, it's a beautiful song, at least for me, and you can really feel the rhythm of running in this and working. Let's, let's, let's play it. This is great stuff.
is that a great song or what? Does that make you want to go out and work and run? That's the thing in a, a lot of these tribes all over the Americas, especially uh, in the Southwest and Mexico, and there's hundreds of tribes in Mexico, especially Southern Mexico, uh, and Central America, and then you skip over the Darien Gap where there's huge expanse of water, and you're, then you're into uh, South America where there is thousands of tribes, and they're very old and very ancient. And work is the essential ethic with your feet and hands. And before these, before missionaries make contact with these tribes, they maintain these incredible physiques. If you see pictures of them, it's, it's amazing. And then when the missionaries come and the civilization comes and the technology comes, you just watch the, these, these natives get fat and out of shape, drive cars, and, uh, they lose touch with the earth. And they stop being farmers, they stop hunting. Uh, and this is not an essential native value. You, you know, when you go to a place like Hopi and you go to these dances in the summer where it gets 120 degrees sometimes, and you watch these dancers, they dance all day and sometimes all night long with little breaks in between. And uh, the, the sacred uh, paraphernalia they have on, uh, it makes things a lot hotter. And I have never in my time gone there ever seen a heat casualty. And I was a medic in the Army, and that's one of the things that we constantly had in hot environments was heat casualties. That's what I was educated in, and that's what I often was mostly treated was heat casualties. Uh, and because you're moving and you're wearing these uh, heavy equipment, uh, you're wearing Kevlar, you're in vehicles, uh, heat is a huge problem in the military. And these, these groups in the, in the Southwest and in, in, in the Amazon, uh, Central America, they have an incredible heat tolerance. Uh, and, and because the, because, and, and listen, when you run with these guys, and I, and I worked with a lot of tribal people when I was in the army, and they, they joined the army too, they were always <laughs> in the front of the runs. And uh, I, I found a pure joy in that because I was a runner, and uh, I just, I, I loved it. I, and I think something in my ancestral roots, uh, my great-grandma's and indigenous roots, uh, there was a, a runner in there. And of course, I connect that to, to Ireland too, because uh, my part of my family comes from uh, ancient Irish runners and runners uh, there. So I think we lose contact with this and we're not able to run. Uh, and like I often say, one of my things is I just get out of my car and start running. Uh, there's no warm-up or anything. And I, and I may go right up a mountain. And I've went with, <laughs> I have a couple of Hopi friends that run real fast. And following them up a mountain, and especially in hot sand, sand dunes, uh, is, you, you see a lot of this uh, out on the reservations. It's this deep red sand. And if, have you ever run on a beach before? Uh, that's hard. You ought to try running in red hot sand in the middle of the, uh, uh, of the summer for, for miles, 30 or 40 miles. Uh, that's a different kind of conditioning. But like I said, this cross training, we, we call it, you know, here, uh, in, in, in our cities and stuff is, is part of a way of life, you know, cause you're a farmer. You're, uh, traditionally you're a farmer. Uh, you're working hard. I, I, and Hopis, uh, Zuni people that I know that work, have farms, they're incredible, have an incredible work, work ethic. And almost always after they get through working, they go and run. They run between fields and everything is a song. Your, your work is part of your, your life and it's, and you're happy 
and you're working with the sun and you're praying and you're singing in the fields to the earth to the to the animals to the plants um there's a joy in the work and we've lost that because everything's about money and time and i think in the traditional formats which sadly are starting to fade in a lot of these tribal places um you see this joy taking place in hard work in running and singing and i and i've worked in the fields with my friend a few of my friends that are traditional farmers at Hopi, and it's always happy. And even though the work is tremendously hard, and it is hard because it's all manual, uh, uh, you're doing this, you have a certain way, a sacred way of planting corn. You just don't go throw it in the field or a tractor. Most of the time doesn't plant that. You do, you have a, a, a special stick and apparatus, and you, you plant the seed, and you pray, and then you move on. And sometimes the older Hopi farmers are hard to keep up with. You may, you may this may be a hundred acre field. And, and these guys are moving along, and the guy in the front is like 85 years old. And you can't keep up with him. With, in my case, they always have to replant my corn because I never do it. It's taken me a long time to learn. Everything has this incredible pace that's natural. No one's wearing a watch. Um, you're, you're connected to a song and the beauty. And this is the same thing when you get in South America. There's these beautiful songs and there's these blessings. And, uh, you know, forgive me for being uh, a little emotional here because um, I learned something as an outsider about um, working hard and running hard. And I learned that there's a song and there's a blessing in everything that you do. And there should be a joy in your work. And when we went to these tribes and we brought the, uh, our, our sort of special kind of capitalism and we brought our, our, our mechanized things and we brought our watches and time and we brought, uh, you know, the bank accounts and we severed, uh, people from their indigenous environment, from the, from these beautiful work ethics, from the fields and from the sky and the water. And suddenly everything had, you had, and, and you were taken away from your tribe and, and you couldn't speak your language and you're educated. And, you know, I, I, I remember my, my great grandma talking a little bit about this. Um, she had a connection to people that were, that went to these boarding schools. And I don't know if she went herself, but she had people that she knew that did. And, and it's just this traumatic environment. You're taken from this very, uh, harmonious environment that's involved with earth and with song and with happiness. And you're thrown into like, you have to work. You have to have a bank account. You have to, you have to be on time. You have to do, all and, and Hopi, Hopis are punctual. These they have a different kind of punctuality that works with the seasons, and I think we lack this uh, in our modern societies. Uh, and I think we had this at one time. I grew up on a farm, um, and and I, there's joy in that work, um, and there's socializing when you work. Uh, it's not entirely lacking, <laughs> but it, it, it's it, it it's. The indigenous way is even more connected and even, there's even a greater joy in that. And so it, it there's no, uh, there's no separation of work and, uh, uh, prayer and play and ceremony and family and birth and death. These are all, and, and weather and seasons. These are all the same thing. They're all underneath this beautiful sky and on this sacred earth. And it's something we do that's done for the creator. And I think that's a different, very different way of seeing things. And I think that when you look at jobs now, um, you have this complete disconnection. You can't even pay your bills. You don't own your house. You don't know how to farm. Uh, most people, you don't know how to run. 
uh, you, you take the bus, you take your car, you go to the gym, you, and you go on a vacation. What's a vacation in the indigenous environment traditionally? Your entire life. <laughs> it's going and seeing friends, it's socializing, it dances, it's, it's working, and it's, it's all of us one, one beautiful song or songs. And so, I, you know, it's good to point that out. Anyway, let's, let's move on here. <laughs> okay. I, I think, <clears throat> we're di we get disconnected when we become modernized in technology, and even now in places like Iowa that used to be uh, manually farmed, all these computers and tractors and things are all done uh, with machines. You don't you don't even step outside of your your big air conditioned tractor, um, and then if you do, you step into another vehicle, and it's just this between vehicles and machines and and computers how everything is harvested and done and there's a lack of manual labor and um so yeah the the element of running and in, 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 at least as far as i understand in traditional circles like the tamara and these places in south and central you know running in south america in with these tribes is amazing i you know i was able to run at 16000 feet <laughs> pretty tough but you have runners that are running way beyond that. There's running trails that go all the way up to 20,000 feet. That's a long ways. These guys are running over the Andes and down into these valleys and back and forth at tremendously high elevations. They farmed. They farmed at 10,000, 12,000, 13,000 feet. You'll see these beautiful terraces that go all the way up the mountain to 13,000 feet with irrigation canals and these are amazing irrigation canals they're they're uh, sophisticated works that link uh, between fields and between terraces these guys they really knew how to to manage a kind of farm that worked with animals and plants and in a very harmonious thing if you want to see amazing farming go to South America and, and it was a lot like that here in the Southwest. And so those things have faded as we become more and more mechanized. And a lot of tribes have even forgotten how to, to farm in these very traditional ways. And, but, but some have not. Some still practice very traditional techniques. Running connects to all that. This kind of running is, uh, not only is it a sacrifice, but it's a way to, uh, each step you take is a sacrifice and it's a communication with the creator saying thank you. That's constantly what you're saying in these kind of runs I do is thank you, thank you, thank you for this, thank you trees, thank you plants. I don't want to go into all these details because some things are sacred and not to be shared and you learn them as you run. I've run this way for going on 25 years now. And uh, it's amazing. It's an amazing school to go through, but it, it demands extreme sacrifice. And there are Hopis and, and Pueblo people and Navajo people that are in their 80s and they're still running five miles a day. Yeah, I know them. I know one man that ran a 30-mile race and he was 76 years old and he placed quite high in the race. He was an amazing runner. I ran with him uh, and he was in better shape than me. So the possibilities, I think, sometimes are unlimited, but we get in this machine world, we get in this world that's mechanized, and we lose connection with our physical bodies. Like I say, we, we detach, we detach our heads from our bodies. We're so much in the digital world, we forget that there's anything truly alive out there. 
I'm not saying digital reality is bad. I mean, I think it's cool, but it's not reality. It doesn't have air. It doesn't have sun. It doesn't have, you're not working your muscles. You're not working your mind. That's another reason I run off trail, rarely run on trails, because it brings in the aspect of balance. It brings in the aspect of how to look at the ground and the landscape you're running on and how to balance. You know, the kind of running I do is extremely important that you have balance. I rarely fall down, and when I do, it's always a bad fall. Um, when I fall, when I do fall a lot, it's when I'm on asphalt or on a paved trail. So when I run off the trail, I've developed uh, over the years a real amazing means to keep my balance, rarely fall down, covering all kinds of extreme landscape. This is what I've learned from wild animals. And, and observing them and the way they run has really helped me in this process. So balance is incorporated. Uh, the way you see things, the way you move, um, uh, different types of speed. Uh, I don't need a watch. That's not what I'm not trying to maintain a six minute mile like some of these superhumans do. That's not I'm, I'm out there as, a, as an experience with the earth, with the sky, with gratitude with discovering things you know and i've discovered hunt well that's that's not true i've discovered thousands of ruins and villages that are unexcavated unknown because i run this you know and of course natives know this because especially a couple because they've been running they know that there's names for these places but as a white person it's it's astounding the amount of people that lived here you can run for 50 miles and uh, uh, the villages are continuous and no one no one is able to answer those questions because archaeologists you know they focus on one area they get in their car and they drive around they fly over in airplanes and when you're running these 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 pathways and some of them are very ancient some of the pathways that run the rock solid rock is actually worn down inches and feet in some places from the hundreds and thousands of years that runner have, runners have run back and forth between these these villages and places. Some are are still there, and some are um, um, have fallen away and become uh, covered with earth. But the pathways are still there, and I've learned those pathways. Now, indigenous religious runners know these places. Um, they they make uh, pilgrimages there, and they leave prayers, and they leave markers and and these are migrational routes that led to what's called the middle place and to these to these mesa tops and places now um where the the tribes live but i'm not so sure these migrations were supposed to stop but continue and we uh, are solidified we stay in one area we go to the gym in one place and a lot of us don't even know the landscape that surrounds us and that's my thing and what I've learned is I know my landscape. I know my plants because I've run these places for years and I've run these pathways and I know villages and places that archaeologists have no idea about. And I'm not going to tell anybody. It's not their business, but it's, it's absolutely mind boggling the sophistication, irrigation techniques and things that are still intact that talk of a people that were brilliant but we're purposely humble and that's that's something we don't understand because science continually sees this progression making it better getting more efficient and some of these tribes have legends of they became too efficient 
They became too inactive. They became fat. They became linked into not moving. And their technologies were fantastic. And there's things we do not understand as outsiders that we're just starting to confirm that there was technologies and things going on in an enlightened time period on this planet that was amazing, at least here in the Americas. Uh, uh, we talk about Aslan and uh, over in the old world, Atlantis. There were comparable places, and I've been there with my feet. Places that make play, you know, that you, t you look at Chaco Canyon and you look at uh, some of these amazing cities that the Mayan and the Aztecan and the Mistecan people and these tribes had. There are comparable places here in the Southwest, in the Americas, and back east. Uh, in places like Wisconsin and Iowa, there are places, there were great, huge cities that were very advanced beyond what I think we, we understand. And these were vacated because people lost their humility. People lost their simplicity. And that's what the running I do seeks out is simplicity and grace and hard work and connection to all living things. And I can't explain that to somebody that's a professional runner for a shoe company. <laughs> you know, that has to win all these races or get a t-shirt. It has nothing to do with that. And when you go over to Scotland and Ireland, and I have some friends that are traditional, I have some Irish friends in Cork and places, they've been there thousands and thousands of years. They're tribal. And they have these same kind of stories. And they have runners. And they have a beautiful history, especially the Irish, of running the landscape in the same way. My name, Hartley, descends from that. And there's a much older name before that. They were a running people. They were connected to the deer. Uh, the old kings of Ireland were all runners. Um, and when you look at these, you know, and the name skipping right now because I'm in the Americas and I switch over into Ireland, we forget they were tribal. You know, that these people were, you know, where do you think things like the Loch, Loch Ness Monster come from? It's these great serpent religions. Not the devil. The serpent is water. The serpent is life. The serpent is a, your tr family tree. And when these invading Christian cultures came in, they turned these sacred things, the forest and the trees and, and, and uh, the um, serpent into, into devils. That's what religions do sometimes. They, if they want to convert you and get your resources, then they destroy the, the tribal religion, the earth religion. It's been there thousands of years. Um, and we use terms like, oh, they're polytheistic. They're not monotheistic. They have many gods. And, and I, I don't know. I don't want to go into that, but I think, I think it all, it's, it's a, it's, we forget that a lot of the, uh, Native groups I go to, yeah, they're polytheistic, but it's all seen as one thing. They don't separate all the, all these into little categories like we do with the Aristotle kind of learning. Everything is one continuous whole. The creator is all of that. You're in the creator. You're thankful for the creator. The creator is a concept that we can't fully em embrace is a consciousness and a, and a life that is beyond us sometimes as human beings. And these ancient people understood that. And so the running I have is connected to that to some degree. And I'm grateful for that. 
and I return, you know, I have both indigenous ancestors and I have ancestors from Ireland and Scotland and um, England, um, and there's a familiarity, there's a tribal connection. Uh, and I've went back to that, and I appreciate that. There are runners over in Ireland that are amazing. They're still running my, for the same reasons that the natives run here. And so um, I don't know how this uh, got off into running because I didn't plan it, but sometimes that's how these episodes Well, anybody go. that knows you gets used to it. <laughs> yeah, you know, don't you? Only too well. And so running has been an, an, a, a very beautiful thing for me. And when I came home from a war, it was one of the ways that I healed my body and mind. Um, and the spiritual base of the running is what done it. And so I don't really think about it. When I go out into landscape, I may have to run 20 miles. I may have to walk 30 miles. Or it may just be a couple. That's not the thought. The thought is it's an opportunity to descend into a landscape and to learn about the trees, to learn about the, the mountains, to learn about the animals, to learn about the weather systems, and to educate myself in those directions. We've become so mechanized and so involved in, in, in advancing scientifically and, and in, in gaining capital and money that we forget that we're connected to a natural planet. And that's, the creator made this amazing planet we live on. It's a miracle. We have yet to find anything like this anywhere else out there. We, there's, there, we haven't found anything. With all the sophistication and all the money and all the science we have, it's null. There's possibilities, but what we have is this, and it's very precious. And I really worry that we lose sight of that and we become so mechanized and so involved in technology that we forget that we have a body and that it's connected to our mind and that we it's it's a whole it's a it's a whole not separate and we need to see it like that so i don't know how i <laughs> running but it's 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 saved my life and it continues to save my life and it is a spiritual experience it's a prayer it's a connection to ancestors through thousands of years and i join them even though here in the Americas I'm largely white, my, some of my people were not. I rejoin my family, my ancestors, uh, and my running is about everything growing behind me. If it's all dead in front of me, then my, my goal is that life propagates itself. And behind me, the trees raise up and the, and the grass raises up and the dead animals raise up and the wolves return and these animals that have long been gone return. And there are brothers and sisters. And I think we can make cities that incorporate all this. It's been done before and it can be done again. We can, we can have the wild in our cities. We don't have to make them this way where there's a division between the wild and the domesticated. It can all be, and there are these great cities in the Amazon, the Kogi and people like this had these huge cities that were connected to the environment, connected to the trees and connected to the animals. You walk through these these ancient cities, you and, you and you contact people like the Kogi and the, and the Sierra Madre and these and these places, and you see that they have they made cities. They still make cities that are a blend of harmonious functions with earth and animals, with water, with the seasons. There is no reason that we can't do that. And uh, runners were that's that's in South America. That's runners connected all that the cities, the farms. There's still amazing runners there. There's still runners that don't care to compete. 
and I know in particular a couple of runners that could be world famous, but refuse to because their their running is not for merit. It's for spirituality. It's for the planet. Okay, this has been. <laughs> Did not expect that, and I'm hope I hope people out there on the shortwave, my shortwave listeners, can connect some way with this. I don't know where it went. Um, it's getting uh, in daytime now, and so I need to go out. Um, I'm kind of getting over a flu, and I had an injury with my leg that I got actually from running on a street on a crosswalk, which I'm not used to doing. I fell down and and I ripped a ligament, and it's almost healed with plants, uh, with walking, with with knowing and magnetic energies that flow out of the earth, I've been able to heal that, and I've done it before. I know there's certain plants and uh, earth energy you can use that accelerate the healing factor. So I have had some very serious injuries, and I come out of those very quickly if I follow the right principles. And we can talk about that later. There's an energy, a physical energy in the earth that's not always visible that travels through the earth, and you connect to that with your feet and with your hands, and all the plants and animals know this, and it, it isn't artificial. <laughs> I like to say you get your fingers and hands, and you put them in the grid of planet. You know, we always talk about the internet and the web interlinking us, but for God's sakes, the planet interlinks us. That's our network. What a fantastic network that we can, we can, and I think the digital world mimics that, or tries to, and we just don't do a good job. We don't, it isn't, we're, we're just so far away from that. We, we need to remember that um, there is a different kind of internet <laughs> that connects us between all life to the stars and to the, all these energy systems outside of the planet and, and on the planet. And there's a, there's, a, there's a consciousness. You know, when you're connected to all these things, plants and animals, you have super consciousness. You know things and you understand things that other people don't, that are always in the, the mechanical, always on cell phones, that you think you're learning quick there. When you're out in that, when you're out and out there and you're connected to earth and you're connected to sky and you're connected to weather and you're connected to stars and, and, and your, and individuality drops out of that, you, you get filled with what I call super consciousness. And I think, I think there's an ability that we that we have this ability in us through thousands of generations of human beings to 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 reconnect to these things. Um, and so, anyway, that's where we're at. Um, I'll let you go uh, running. Hmm. I didn't even know I was going to have a show. I said a little bit, and there's a lot more. Uh, mostly, you learn it from actually doing it, not from talking about it or reading about it. Um, so. I don't know. I hope this went somewhere. Have a really good day. Uh, blessings of life and goodness upon you. Be healthy. Be strong. Age doesn't matter. And so we have this beautiful planet and she can help us be healthy and strong. And we shouldn't trade her off for something that's really naive, that's incredible technology. But why can't we combine that with, with the older technology to make sure that we have this planet intact? Because if we lose it, and it looks like we could, we're in big trouble. And I, I, I think we need to see that right now, that technology has an end point. All right. Have a nice day. Bye.
Radio. 